The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Well, we are we're well beyond halfway point in our sermon series, but it, it really makes me think we're just we're probably about a minute past the halfway point in what they call the holiday season, right? It's the race between Halloween and Christmas, right? We're a week after Thanksgiving. And, and I'll tell you, depending on your life, it can be like a downhill slalom race where you're just like trying to dodge trees and like get to the finish line and have this thing be over. That's, that was most often my experience working retail for like 18 years. I just couldn't wait for January to come. I couldn't wait to do inventory and turn the page. Now, Actually, I really enjoy it. I'm even listening to Christmas music. By the way, here's a little side note. Not all Christmas music's great. Um, Josh Garrell's Christmas on Spotify, I think, is fantastic. And then I have other suggestions if you're interested. But, but get that in your ears because it's, it's full of truth. It's, it's full of just great thinking about our great God, right? And it's not trite and all that cheesy stuff that most of the time we hear. Side note ended, right? But, but here's the thing. When you're going through this season, it can be hard to slow down and just really focus on, on what we're really trying to accomplish, um, which is why Thanksgiving's so necessary for our culture. I mean, it really is. Thanksgiving is, is necessary because it's a holiday that's, that's focused not primarily on consumer goods, although they get it in there, right? Because we got the Black Friday thing and the Super Saturday and whatever Monday is and cyber this and cyber that. But, but Thanksgiving is, is focused on, let's say, gratitude. It's, it's focused on thankfulness, right? And gratitude, it turns out, is actually really good for us. Did you know that? I knew that before this week, but when I started to do some research on cultural things, my, man, the algorithm, I got nailed. Like everything in my algorithm is like, being thankful is good for your health. It's good for your heart. It's good for this. It helps you sleep. I was like, whew. And it was just gratitude, 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 everywhere. Have you guys seen this? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's everywhere. It, it helps so many different things. Now, here's the deal. Target will even sell you pillows that tell you to be thankful, right? They'll sell you pillows that tell you to be grateful. And, and I got to tell you, I don't find any of that helpful, I really don't. We, my wife and I, my wife, she likes to help me be thankful, and I'm thankful for her, but I told her I was doing this, by the way. I said, but I'm not really thankful for the thankful jar, right? There's so many things my wife likes to do to create a particular home and a particular culture, and so each year we set out with this wonderful thing where every day we're going to write something we're thankful for, we put it in the jar, and then on Thanksgiving, we're going to read 900 things we're thankful for. <laughs> now, I think it's fair to say we have like four things in there. I think we do it like day one, we forget, and then we're just off and running, right? Because, but it is a good discipline, right, to think about what you're thankful for. I learned this week that a, a heart of gratitude will help you fight anxiety and despair. Uh, if you want to be happy in life, being grateful is a great place to start. And just on and on, I got all this therapeutic stuff that's not necessarily wrong. I just don't find it helpful. But then I come to this text, 
And, and I think there's really something for our culture and for us as Christians to really learn here. So let's look at this text. I'm just going to read it in whole, and I'm going to work our way through it slowly. So like, just kind of pay attention to the text, and then we're going to see what the Lord has for us. So let's look at Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, by the way, this is the third marker in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus has mentioned on the way to Jerusalem. He's not just letting you know, like, hey, I'm headed to the big city. When when you read on the way to Jerusalem, he's saying, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. That's, That's his mindset. You know, back in, I think it's chapter five or seven, he, he said, I have my face set like flint. I'm, I'm, I'm fixing my eyes on the reason why I came, right? Christmas time, we all love to talk about baby Jesus and he's in the cradle and those are wonderful things, but make no mistake about it. Jesus coming and putting on flesh, God putting on flesh to live and dwell among us was about God indwelt and, and being coming human so that he could go to a cross, so that he could die for their sins of this world, so that sinners like us could have life with God. God, Emmanuel, God with us, right? That's what Christmas is about. It's this moment. It's the cross. It's the resurrection. Jesus lives a perfect life, but it's so that he can go to a cross, and he can be the Lamb of God, and he can pay for the sins of the world. So when he says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, he's, he's saying, I know why I'm here. And he's reminding his disciples, I must go. I must suffer. I must be killed. I must be marked. I must be spit upon and on the third day resurrect. So, so once again, he's reminding his team, this is where I'm headed. This is where I'm going. Follow me. Right? And so we see that. And he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. Um, it's, it's like a little leper colony, right? Uh, the reason I say this is because these, these folks are connected by misery, right? Leprosy uh, in that time was just a, a skin infection, disease, and it marked people unclean. And so therefore, they were not allowed to live in their home. They were not allowed to be engaged in a worshiping community. They had to stand so far away. As a matter of fact, if you were not a leper, and they saw you coming, they would have to cover up their mouth, and they would have to, like, holler, unclean, unclean, unclean. Essentially, they're, they're just you know, social distancing, right? They're quarantining so that you do not get infected with their uncleanliness, right? But it also had a spiritual sense in that time where this was to be seen as an affliction, and, and it was a reason for you being unclean. So here Jesus comes, and, and there's 10 lepers, and, and in this unclean colony, listen, it says they stood at a distance. So they're, they're obeying the law, right? And this was part of their misery because they were isolated, right? And so there they are in this little community. And it, it says they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Right? You, can, you can feel their desperation. Um, these guys... Man, they know something about the power of Christ, all right? Jesus has been, his earthly ministry has been, let's say, three years in full effect right now. They've heard, I mean, they're, they're saying master. That's not, that's not usual within the scripture for people to be saying that. We don't know what they know as far as Jesus' deity, but they, they absolutely understand there is something about this, man. They're not just saying rabbi, hey, healer. They're saying Jesus, master, have mercy on us. 
And it says, when, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Notice he, he doesn't heal them right away. We've had other times within the gospel of Luke where Jesus would just go right up and he touches the leper, and, and which would be shocking, right? Because that means you're unclean, but he actually, you can't make him unclean. As a matter of fact, he transfers cleanliness, right? He heals them. He touches them. He heals them. And that's what, it, that's what it means to come in contact with Christ. Oh, he loves to heal. He loves to do so much more than just save souls. He loves to redeem and transform lives, right? He loves to, to make you more like him, which is the greatest need of your heart. And so here he is, though, and this time he does something a little different. He says, go to the priest and show yourselves, right? Why? Well, priests, they had a lot of different functions, but one of their functions was they were the gatekeeper of the community, and they would say, yes, you have been healed, you are clean, you can re-enter into the, the worship community, you can re-enter into your family. That was part of the thing. They would offer a sacrifice to God, giving thanks for the healing, and so Jesus sends them, and there they go. And look what it says, and as they went, as they went, I don't know how far they went, they were cleansed. They were cleansed. This, I mean, what's that look like? I don't know. They don't have mirrors. They don't have phones. They can't like do the whole selfie thing. I, it, oh, my hand's starting to heal. Was it in, in a moment? Was it slow? But they start looking at each other. Imagine all 10 of them. And, and man, their skin was restored. Their health was restored. And they were healed. They had their physical life back. I guarantee there was a great celebration. I guarantee that all 10 of them had gratitude in that moment, which is really interesting to think about when we continue, right? They were, they were thankful that they had their physical life back, right? This disease that had stolen life is gone. I'm, I'm healed. And so they continue on. But notice it says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. He disobeyed what Jesus said. He didn't go to the priest. He actually goes to the high priest, right? He goes to King Jesus. He turns back and he, and praising God, it says with a loud voice. By the way, that word loud voice is where we actually get our word megaphone, right? With a mega voice, he's praising God. He's not just praising Jesus in his little heart where nobody can see. He is loud and he is excited and he is running back towards Christ. And it says, and when he fell on his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. That's once again, this is not usual, not in the scriptures. Almost always, anytime you see giving thanks, it's to God, the father here, you see a man in a posture of worship at, at the feet of Christ. And he's giving King Jesus, master Jesus, praise and honor and glory. And he is worshiping at his feet. Now he was a Samaritan. Listen, that doesn't hit us like it probably should, but this would be the moment in the story where the record player, if you know what that thing is, they're making a comeback. My daughter wants records for Christmas. I'm like, you have access to all the music in all the world, but we want the snap, crackle, pop like Rice Krispies. I get it? Cool. We'll do it. But it's like when you bump it and it goes, what? And everybody goes, what? Right? Like, this man's a Samaritan. And this stands out. And the reason is because Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. There was a, a hostile, let's just say racial divide, social divide, religious divide between Samaritans and Jews. And here he is, and he's back, and he is worshiping. 
It's amazing in the Gospel of Luke, those who are seen as least likely to worship Jesus are often found at his feet. It just stands out to me over and over, and I can't wait to continue to read the Gospel of Luke for the month of December and see that continual theme. And there, there he is. And then Jesus answered, and he said, well, we're not ten cleansed? I mean, he knows the answer, right? This is rhetorical. Where are they? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Don't miss that Christ's deity is right here. He said, I am God, and this man is worshiping me, and that is exactly what should be happening. But where are the other nine? And he said to him, meaning the Samaritan, the one who came back, he said, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. By the way, this, this faith has made you well, is much more than the physical healing. The other nine are healed. They're healed. They're enjoying life. I I don't know what they're doing. My guess is they went home. They wanted a hug. They wanted a home-cooked meal. They're thankful. They're thankful. But they're thankful for the healing. And they're missing the healer. And this is the problem. They're very excited about that day. Don't, Don't think they're not grateful. They're grateful. But they're grateful for the blessing and not the one who blessed. They're missing it. And oh, how we can miss it. But this man, Jesus is saying there's something different about your faith. The word that is used here, your faith has made you well. That word, saved. You're a a saved man. Now, don't get it twisted. He's not saved because he came back to Jesus and gave thanks. He's there at the feet of Jesus worshiping because he is a saved man. Oh, there's a big difference. And we could mess this thing up real quick if we weren't paying attention. So let's pay attention. Keep your head connected. See, in our scripture reading, and by the way, that's the text. That's the text. What's the point? A faithful response to God's healing and saving work of Jesus is to praise God through Christ for his work in your life. That's it. If you got that, you could probably go home. I'd ask you stay. We're a little light on numbers. People are vacationing probably. A couple people got leprosy. Just kidding. But they're probably sick and at home. But actually, I think there's a a lot more to learn here. But that is the point. Now the question becomes, what do we do with the next 31 minutes and three seconds? It's it's quick and going. Tick, 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 tick. I'll tell you what most people do with this text. Many times they teach on how you're not thankful enough and you got to get your thankfulness up. Right? You, you ever been in one of those sermons? Walk away feeling pretty guilty. You're right. I'm not praising Jesus enough. I need to go get me a praise pillow from Target and tell everyone how thankful I am. So many times texts like this can be turned into a, be like an exhortation. Be more like the Samaritan. Be more thankful. Right? But, but here, and that becomes the focus. And and we start to focus on what we do instead of the Christ. And that's the problem. Um, Many times people are thankful, but they're they're missing the giver. And they're focused on the gift. Uh, Let me tell you a real quick story of Christmas. My poor grandma Scott, God rest her soul. I always pick on her. She understands, and that was the relationship we had. But we'd go to Grandma Scott's, and it was always lame. 
And I would get a velour jumpsuit looking like Tony Soprano, right? This stuffed little sausage, sweating because it's 98 degrees in grandma's house. Circulation isn't working for her at this point. I get it now. My feet get cold quick. I would get a remote-controlled car. It wasn't really remote control. It was a wire attached to it. It only went forward, turned right and left, and backed up only one particular way. I guess it was a way to get me to lose some weight because I was always a chunky kid. I got the hot suit on, 98 degrees, and I have to follow it. And every time we would leave, and I knew it was coming. My dad and my mom are st- heat-seeking missile eyes. You tell your grandma you're thankful. You tell her thanks. And, and by the way, you, you got to do this because your little, your kids won't know to say thank you. You have to teach them. They, they won't get it. Oh no, my kid, he was just born thankful. No, he wasn't. He, You have to teach children this. But I would say with my lips, thank you. But with my heart, I was not excited. I couldn't wait to go home and get this jumpsuit off, take a shower, and put on something that fit me, and and actually engage in toys I wanted. (laughs) Now, now don't get me wrong. Gratitude is, it's great. I'm a big fan, right? So, like, was he like an ungrateful pastor? Sometimes. But I'm not down on gratitude. I'm down on the way the culture thinks about gratitude, right? I wasn't grateful. Now, my grandma probably knew. But I'll tell you what, I go to my grandma Risings, and she actually wasn't good at giving gifts either, but man, I knew one thing. That woman loved me. (laughs) No one had to look at me and say, say, thanks. I mean, that woman... She just sat down and spent time with me. And I, I mean, she was actually really bad at giving tangible gifts. But man, she was great at loving. And I would leave and I was beaming. And I would just be like, thank you. Thank you. I love you, Grandma. I can't wait to come and see you this week. I spent so much time there. I love my pap. No one told me to be thankful. It just welled up in my heart. And, and I couldn't keep it here. It had to come out. It had to be expressed right? And, and so our culture is saying, just be thankful for goodness sake. It doesn't work. People are waking up, they're depressed. Be more thankful. You're just adding more guilt to them. Why? Because they're not grateful. They know they're not grateful. And so they get a 30-day calendar on how to be more grateful. And January 1st, I'm going to spend the year being more grateful. And by week two, you're like, I'm grateful that January's almost over. And February's coming. Because it's not real. It's not from the heart. See, that's the problem with the cultural shift within our culture. By demanding everyone be grateful in our culture, we've actually rendered gratefulness down to be null and void. Because we don't even know what it is anymore. We don't know what to be thankful for. We don't even know who to thank. And so, feeling grateful because you're told to be grateful is not gratitude. It's just not. It's It's actually just a part of the endless list of things you now must do. They just give you something more to do. And you'll feel not grateful because you didn't live up to that list, right? These lists, man, they just pile them on. And so what's the point? The law, rules, it turns out actually does not bring about obedience and thankfulness from the heart. It actually does the opposite. It just does the opposite, right? That's what it did to me when my parents were telling me, be thankful to Grandma Scott, okay. 
Meaning you can say you're thankful or, or thank you from your mouth and never mean it in your heart and think that that passes for gratefulness, and it doesn't. It doesn't, by the way, pass for obedience in the Scriptures either. Jesus would say to the Pharisees who were faking it, right? Fake it till you make it. You worship me with your mouth, but your heart's far from me. And in, in, in vain do you worship me. Meaning it's worthless because I see it. I know it. To be sure, there's much to be thankful for. And by the way, disciples should be marked by gratitude. We should be marked by thanksgiving. But our attitude of gratitude, right? We have all these little pithy sayings. It has to flow from a heart of grace that's been affected and transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. It's got to be real. It's got to happen internally. And when it does, you can't help but say, praise the Lord. Thank God for this, for that. He's so good. Oh God, how I love you. You, you can't help but be a megaphone of his grace if you've experienced that grace. There might be seasons where you don't. I'm not saying you're not saved in those moments. I'm saying something's wrong. Something's off. Something's out of alignment. And, and his grace is sufficient for those moments. By the way, when you're not grateful, which only makes me want to be more grateful. He ain't like Grandma Scott. Like if she don't get her, you know, props, she's like, right? He's not doing that. He just continues to love you so that you then, you have no choice. Oh God, thank you. Oh God, thank you. Gratitude, it turns out, is a, is a gift. It's a gift of grace. If you're a grateful person, if you're a person who's marked by thanksgiving, praise God. Because you, you didn't do it. You, you did not do that work. The Holy Spirit of God is doing that work in you. And you know, many times to, to bring you to that place, you, you have to have a place of suffering. Because many times we, we, oh, we're so entitled. We just think that we deserve so much more, right? Anyone else? I mean, I'm there. Oh, why is this happening? Why is that happening? You know, I, I hear it all the time, and I'm not even knocking it. I get it. There's a plane wreck, and we say, where was God? Planes are traveling. If you go online and just look at the, the travel of, of the air at any one given time, you're like, how do planes not hit each other every day and fall out of the sky? But no one says, praise Jesus, that no planes fell today. And, and I'm, I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I'm just not thinking about planes. I'm thinking about now, praise Jesus, that planes don't fall out every day. Right? But, but man, let it fall. That one fall, where was God? That's, that's us. That's Adam. But, but if you're in Christ, that means Christ is in you. And, and Jesus is known to worship the Father. The Holy Spirit primary work is to illuminate your mind and your heart to see Jesus as beautiful. He loves to rep Christ. He really does. He loves to well up in you a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of worship, that the things of this world just start to lose their grip. They start to lose their allure. And then what you see is the risen Christ who's given you himself, not because you deserve him, but because he just loves to give. He just loves to give. And, and when you're not thankful, he doesn't remove himself from your life. He actually pushes in more. 
Oh, how much different it is than what the world talks about when we talk about gratitude. You know, in the account of of this leper's healing, we actually have a picture of how the gospel works in our lives. We really do. I mean, let's compare and contrast just for a moment. Uh, In part one of the story, we have 10 who come to Jesus, even though the 10 keep a distance, right? So we've got 10 coming to Jesus, 10 keeping a distance, 10 crying out for mercy. Jesus sends all 10 away, and all 10 go, and all 10 are cleansed. But part two, we actually only have one coming back to Jesus. One at Jesus' feet, one praising God for all the mercy that that man has received from Christ. Jesus sends that one man away, and that one man is saved. Don't miss it. Jesus' primary work on this earth was not to provide miracles, unless what you mean by miracles is the miracle of a saving relationship between man who has fallen and a holy God. He came to bring about relationship between God and man. That was his miracle. That was his work. By this one man's response, he showed that he was delighted in the healer more than the healing. Now, do you think that's his natural work? It's not. It, that's the work of the Spirit in this man's life. The other nine would acknowledge the power, but they're actually not. It really shows that, at least right now, I want to be patient. I, bet, I hope all ten are in heaven, right? I hope to meet all the other nine, right? And, but they have no interest in showing that at that moment. We shouldn't think that's the end of their story, though. We don't know what Jesus does with these guys. But just as though they were standing at a distance asking for mercy, at least in this text, it appears that they're still at a distance between them and God. Which means you could get, you could get your cancer healed and still not see the point of life. You could be so thankful you had your cancer healed and miss that God's the one who did the healing. I could tell you story after story, but there's no way to do that without putting someone in a bad light, so I'm just going to skip that. But I've seen it in my ministry over and over. And if it weren't for God's grace, I'd be just like that. Just like that. And so would you. That's the trick. You think, well, I'm different. You're you're not. It's not just a problem in the culture. It's a problem within the church to just be more excited about the gifts than the giver. Because it's a problem within the heart of fallen humans, right? We see this. I mean, the situations might be different, but, but... we, people can just love Jesus for his bennies and miss the fact that Jesus is the, the treasure, right? And you see this. Look at Romans 1, 21 through 23 with me. It says, and don't miss the connection. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So, so that's a problem. Oh, it's a worship problem. And it says, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What, what's the problem with having an ungrateful ingra- heart or a, a thankless heart? It's, it's a worship problem. That's exactly what Paul says. It's, it's an absolute worship problem, right? And, and And without God intervening, this is where we stay. The reason is because we take take what God has given to us and we're rip-off artists. And we just make it God. Marriage is awesome. Sometimes it's hard. Often it's hard. 
Children are awesome. Sometimes they're awful, but they're a blessing, right? I got, that's the biggest amen I got from that dude ever. <laughs> You're at it. I mean, it's been a hard morning, no doubt, bro. There's grace for that. And, but we can elevate them to not be gifts, but to be God's. And we can be really crushed when people in our lives don't live up to the expectation of God. But I got news for you. You all, me included, we make horrible gods. And so if you're just like putting all your hope in this one person or this job or whatever it is to bring about life for you, it will fail you. The thing you thank right now, you'll demonize eventually because it didn't do a God thing. But the thing is, it's never meant to do a God thing. It's just a gift. And so you just receive it, right? we're, We're made to worship God. We're made to exalt his name. We're made to enjoy his grace. Enjoy the gifts, but praise the giver. And if the gifts ain't coming, remember, if you're in Christ, you've received the greatest gift ever. You received Christ, and he's done that work. The reason is we don't like to do this. We don't like to acknowledge our dependency upon God. We want to be an independent people right? If you pay attention, you can hear it all around us. I mean, we just don't accept that God's the one who has done these things in our lives. If it's bad, okay, we'll give it to you, God. But if it's good, I mean, look at me, right? For instance, the great rap philosopher Snoop Dogg, right? You may know him. Uh, He he has a song, and I'm just going to read. I would rap, but you'd make fun of me later. He says, Last but not least, I want to thank me. I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver. Oh, God, have mercy on that man's soul. Would you see what he's doing? He's saying, I'm God. I'm God. We, we do this, by the way. We're just not talented enough to write rap songs that people listen to. And, and we're clever enough to not say it out loud. Oh, but we do it. What happens when people refuse to acknowledge and depend on God as God? We don't stop worshiping. That's the mistake everybody thinks. You're all worshiping someone or something. I pray it's King Jesus. But we're all worshiping. We just simply change our object of worship. Snoop's just, you know, he's pretty excited about Snoop, right? He's worshiping like the sweet Chiba, and he's worshiping all the things he's got, and he's writing some tunes, and he's real excited about Snoop Dogg, right? Like, it's embarrassing to see it there, but if we could step back and say, okay, what about, what about me? Do I do that? Well, we're probably more subtle. What, why is that, though? It's a worship problem. Make no mistake about it. Paul says they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for the images to look like mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We, we just changed our object of worship. We worship the created order, not the creator. Why? Because we must worship something or someone. You're never neutral. You're always giving yourself to something or someone. You ever want to know what it is? Think about your time, your talent, your treasure right? You can just almost always tell what someone's, what the altar they're worshiping at is where they give their thought life, their money, their talents, all their energies. 
That's the thing you're hoping doesn't fail you and brings you hope, happiness, joy, and light. And if, if someone were to say, well, what if I took that away and you said I would cease to ever want to live, whatever that is, there's your God. There's your God. Just trace it back. You'll figure it out. But see, here's the thing. The, the, the disease of ingratitude not only infects the culture around us, it, it's, it's an epidemic among God's people many times. And you can even hear it in worship songs. We're not even singing to King Jesus. We're actually just, we're excited about our gifts, our abilities, and the things we can do. It becomes a worship service centered on man. And we, we sell this junk. And we call it gospel. And we wonder why we have a, a culture of consumers that don't care about their neighbor ever coming to know about King Jesus. Because, well, I'm here really not for Jesus. I'm here for some social reasons. If I left this church, I mean, I know they don't preach the gospel, Pastor Scott, but my friends are there. Oh, God, forgive us. This scripture caused me to think about my own lack of thanksgiving many times in life. And, and calls me back to this, this posture of, of thankfulness, of gratitude as we follow Christ. Let's be real, though. I mean, holidays are hard. Some of you, it's maybe not. Praise God, man. That's awesome, right? Families can be awful. They really can be. Um, being a parent is really awesome, but sometimes it's really exhausting, right? And it doesn't end when your kids are out of the house, so I've heard. Um, I've talked to a lot of adult parents. Sometimes they worry more because their kids are just, you're just concerned about their well-being spiritually and physically and all these things. Being married is a pure joy. Love you, babe. Uh, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's, it's got its moments. Being single, I, I, I talk to so many single folks here, it has its own hurdles and challenges and loneliness and these different things. So, so living a life of gratitude, is, it's just not automatic, and it's really hard at times. It's really hard. That's why these little trite sayings I see on TikTok and stuff, I'm just like, give me a break. Give me a break. Be more thankful. Thanks. <laughs> that helped. Um, it's so annoying to me. And then it's really annoying to me when I see it in the church. This life is beautiful, but make no mistake about it. It is broken, which is why it's really hard to be grateful all the time. As humans, we're primarily wired to be selfish. I mean, right? I mean, just hang out with kids. They don't know how to fake it yet. I love it. I, I mean, kids are a blast. They're hardwired from birth to go after things they want and scream when they don't get it. <laughs> right? We're, just not, we're not much different, though. I just scream inside, right? Mercifully, there's a cure. Mercifully, there's a cure. There's good news, family. Oh, I'm so thankful. Jesus put it this way back in chapter 7 of Luke, verses 41 and 42. He tells a little story. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. He, I mean, right? He, one owed him 500 denarii. I mean, it's a ton. It's a bunch of cash. The other, 50. And when he could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Right? This is a good money lender. This is the kind of guy I need. Right? Now, which one of them will love him more? It's not a hard question to figure out. It's the one who had the bigger debt and received forgiveness, right? If you owe me $1,000, first I'm not forgiving it, pay it off. It's Christmas time. I need that money, right? Just kidding. Ha, ha, ha. But if you, if, if you owed me a dollar 
And I said, you know what? You're for, don't worry about the thousand. You don't worry about the dollar. No one cares about the dollar. You're like, I didn't even remember I owed, owed you a buck. But if I forgave a thousand, that's like, wow, thank you so much. That really helps me. I can now buy some Christmas gifts for my family. There's a greater appreciation. Can I just tell you right now, you and I had a mountain of debt. A, a mountain. It, you could never pay it back. Jesus Christ absorbed all your sin debt in himself, which is where the heart of thanks comes from. It's just where it comes from. So in Luke 7, he's saying, focus on all that Christ has done in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And, and when you do that, when you fix your gaze upon Christ, you will have a heart of thankfulness. It will happen. It might not happen overnight, but, but it will well up in you. And so the more you realize that this divine mercy is such a gift, as Pastor Kevin was talking about even before the sermon, it invokes a heart of thankfulness, a heart of gratitude that leads to praise and to worship. It leads to it, right? Um, God has been so merciful to us in, in giving himself to us in the Lord Christ Jesus. He did not have to do it. Make no mistake about it. He did not owe you salvation. The only thing he owed you was the wages of sin is death. He, he owed you hell. Oh, but he gave you so much more. He gave you his son. He's given you life. He's given you real life with God. He's given you himself. All who believe in King Jesus for their salvation are indwelt with God. We don't have to go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. Why? Because as you'll continue to learn, if you don't know already, you are the temple of God. God dwells within man. God dwells within woman. All who believe in Jesus for their salvation have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You never go anywhere that you're not intimately woven with the love of God. You cannot get away from Him. He's in every fiber of who you are. This is what it means to be born again. So you are a worshiping person. You may feel very alone at this time of year. You're never alone. And now that doesn't, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're alone, except the fact that I have God with me, don't just settle for that. You have a family here, and, and make it known, and we'll make sure you've got places to be if we don't see it already, right? Because you need that human friendship. You need that human companionship. But there is no one better. There's no better friend than Jesus, and he's real. It's not like this ethereal little you know, concept. He's very present in your life. He knows all your hopes and dreams, and he desperately loves you. And if that doesn't create thanksgiving in your heart, I don't want you, guilt will never drive you to gratitude. Say, God, I, I know I'm to be thankful. I'm not. Confess it. Say it. He already knows. Create in me a thankful heart. Create in me a heart that, that sees that you are the greatest treasure that you are the greatest gift. Help all these other things that just have my attention to just let the lights dim and you just shine in my heart and in my mind. And then engage him. Engage him in, in his word. And we're going to read through the Old Testament, if you're willing, and you're committed to do that with me, starting in January. We're going to read through the whole Old Testament. Why? Because I want you to see, man, this, this ever-unveiling mercy of God. Because if you understand the Old Testament, which Jesus would call the Scripture, you'll see and appreciate and love Jesus more. You will. 
right? It, and that will create a heart in, of thanksgiving in you, of, of gratitude in you. But engage him. Sing. I already said it. Get some good Christmas music in your ears. I love that I get to go to the mall and hear songs praising Jesus, which I just crack up because everybody's like, yeah, you know, they're, sing, they're singing worship songs. And they're like, yeah, no, I'm an atheist. I'm like, no, that's funny. Um, it's the only time we can just rock some worship songs in the stores. Everybody sings them. And they don't even know what they're singing to or who they're singing to. But you do. So worship him. Get in a community. Quit trying to be a lone ranger to where you figure out, I'm going to get real excited about Jesus. Just me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, reading the Bible, singing songs by myself. You won't. You won't. You've you got to be known, and you've got to know people, and that will take effort on your part. Like, I, nobody knows me. Have you taken a step? Invite someone to your house. Serve them a decent lunch. Get signed up for a missional community group. Why? Because you need people around you that when you're down and you're not grateful and you're not thankful, they will lift your eyes to the one you should be worshiping. You worship your way into being in in gratitude, and you worship your way out of that problem, too. It's always a worship problem. It's always a worship problem. And so, family, build your lives on the gospel, on this mercy, on this great king who loves you, even when you're not full of thanksgiving. He still just loves you. He still presses in. He's still for you. Bob Coughlin, I, I, I want to read something to you. Bob Coughlin get, defines worship as this. I'm going to read it. I, I really like his definition more than most. He says, the response of God, because we use these words, worship. Most people think worship's when we sing with, with Hannah or Colton. That can be worship, but so is preaching. Your whole life is worship, okay? So Bob Coughlin defines worship as this, the response of God's redeemed people to his self-revelation that exalts God's glory or beauty in Christ, in our minds, in our affections, in our wills, like our desires, the things we do in life, in the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason I like his definition best is because it's about the only place I can find in the power of the Holy Spirit. Almost everything else is high intellectual, and they just leave the Spirit out, which I'm like, okay, we, we can't do this. We can't do this. So, so that's what worship is. So think about it. You worship your way into being a very ungracious people, a very unthankful people by worshiping creation. The only way to worship or to be a thankful people to the God who gave you all these things is to worship your way out. Do you see that? It's all about worship. Tim Keller said this once. He said, it's one thing to be grateful. It's another to give thanks he said, grateful is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. I like that separation, actually. It, it really helps me. Because you can feel thankful, but this dude had a megaphone of thanks, right? He, he's, he's praising the Lord outwardly in his life, the way he lives. Nobody's wondering. And he's not using some vague deity, right? Like, well, thank God. I don't even know who you mean when you say that. Drop the J word, would you please? Say Jesus. You'll change the dynamic in the room, I promise you. Lots of people are cool with you being like, yeah, I'm cool with God. I love God. God's awesome. Right? God, God, God. God. But as soon as you start to say, man, 
I'm so thankful Jesus saved a sinner like me. Ooh, I don't know if I'm on that team. I don't know if I'm on that team. Right? So, so let your life speak of his thanks. The only way to do that is not by white-knuckling your way through being super thankful. It's to just enjoy God through Christ Jesus by the power of his spirit at work in you. It's worship. Oh, so God, help, help us to be a worshipful people. Not just on Sunday. Every moment of every day. And when we're not, may we just quickly turn back like this leper and give you praise for what you've done, for what you're doing, for what you will do. So what's the point? Here's the point. Genuine faith recognizes Jesus as the source of all healing and expresses itself in gratitude and praise to him. And praise to him. It's in your map. You can see it. So I'm going to read a little bit from Psalm 136, 1 through 9. And then we're going to uh, finish out this sermon. And we're going to receive and enjoy communion like we do each week. But just listen to this, this psalm, or at least part of it. Psalm 136, 1 through 9. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, just keep listening to that line. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give to him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. To the sun, the sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalm writer gets it, man. God's grace is eternal. Whether you're grateful, whether you're thankful or not, man, this God is so good. And his love endures forever. It does not end. It's unyielding. Everyone in this room, your love yields at some point. I know it taps out. Mine sure does. God's love doesn't. It has no shelf life. It's forever. It doesn't expire throughout the whole psalm. The psalmist is beating into our heads 26 times that God's steadfast love endures forever. And if you will, if you will meditate your heart and your mind on that great love, oh, you have no choice to be thankful. You will be a thankful person. If that's what's captivated your mind, God's grace is an unrelenting, unconditional forgiveness. It's grace. And it produces a life of gratitude. It produces a life of thankfulness. And, and, and let's, I just want to finish with one, one more piece. This gospel will transform your life. It will. You are transformed at the moment of salvation, but he's not done with you. He's making you to be more like Christ, and Christ was marked by worship to the Father, right? You'll be marked by your worship. And unlike what the culture says is just be thankful for goodness sake. I don't know who goodness is, and I don't care about his sake. We get to be thankful for something very tangible or someone very tangible. So as Paul, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians, 
may we give, listen, joyful thanks to the Father. Not because studies have shown it's helpful for your sleep, although that's good too, or your health, or because it's the right thing to do, gosh darn it, but because the Father, listen, has qualified you. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, you you sit here as a forgiven, holy, beloved, forever people. And nothing can change that. And may that make your heart thankful, I ask in Christ's name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good news that you have done all that was necessary to save a hell-bent, rebellious people. And you have, you've done it all, and you've called us to then trust in Jesus for our salvation. Just like this leper who's, who's on the way to the priest, he turns. God, may we turn. May we turn once again to you and be reminded of your great love. Be reminded of your forgiveness. Be reminded of the life you've given us with the Father. And may we happily fall at your feet and be found worshiping. Be found loving and giving thanksgiving to the one who is worthy of all praise. Every man, woman, and child one day will, whether they want to or not, praise you. Every knee will bend, every tongue will confess. May it be because they've seen the good news of Jesus Christ and responded in faith. Oh God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for keeping us. Thank you for maintaining this salvation. Thank you for giving us a a righteous standing to where we can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive help in our time of need. Thank you that there is no place that we can run that your love does not pursue us and call us back to worship. God, create that heart in us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.